Support for today's podcast is brought to you by FS Investments. Finding income for your clients is tough. FS Investments makes it easier by designing solutions that help investors reach their income goals and secure their futures. FS Investments never settles, so advisors and investors won't have to either. Visit fsinvestments.com slash deadcelebrities and discover what it means to never settle. This is not an offer to buy securities. Investors are advised to consider investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses carefully before investing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Dead Celebrity Podcast, presented by WealthManagement.com. My name is David Lenick, and I'm a senior editor with Wealth Management and Trust in Estates. For those of you who are new to the podcast, each episode focuses on a single celebrity estate, be it a planning snafu, a familial fight, or even just a good example of the power of proper planning. And from that high-profile and often ridiculous example, myself and a guest attempt to boil down some lessons that advisors can use with their more typical clients. Uh, The idea being that celebrity estates, though the details are often more bombastic, generally face the same obstacles and issues as those of regular people, just with the volume turned up, which uh, makes them interesting and valuable case studies. Now, this episode is going to be a bit different. Normally, as I just mentioned, we take a single big story and extract lessons from it. This time, we're going to look at kind of a trend some listeners may have noticed among high-profile celebrity estates. With examples, of course, we can't deny our tabloid nature after all. And uh, we're going to use that as a jumping-off point for this week's discussion topic, the basics of trusts. Our guest this week is Jeff Madsen. He's the chairman of the independent trust company, and perhaps even more relevant is himself a fifth-generation trust beneficiary. So he knows firsthand the complexities trust assets can bring to family relationship from both sides of the desk. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Thanks for having me, Dave. Glad to be here. So I mentioned a trend earlier. Uh, In this day and age, it seems like everyone knows just a little bit too much about everyone else. (laughs) And that's doubly true for celebrities and others who live their lives in the public eye. So there's really no shortage of resources one can use to try and discern how much exactly a given celebrity is worth. Think of the various Forbes lists of the wealthiest individuals in X field, or simply try to Google the celebrity of your choice's net worth and enjoy the avalanche of results. So we think we have a pretty accurate bead on what a celeb's worth, but that all goes out the window when they die, and the number that goes public is inevitably lower, and sometimes much lower than what these uh, prognosticators predicted. So cue the inevitable series of articles on how XYZ celeb squandered their great fortune and what a cautionary tale they are. And then some jerk probably even makes a podcast trying to glean lessons from their failures. (laughs) Sometimes this treatment is justified if not completely deserved. For example, in the case of the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, who famously died with effectively no estate plan at all in place. Uh, no will and no trust, which left her some $80 million estate to just pass through intestacy. Though there's still a little fighting going on about how exactly that's going to go. But more often than not, the number that goes public and drives everyone bananas doesn't really represent the deceased's actual net worth. And this is where trusts come in. Take, for example, the recently departed celebrity chef and television star, Anthony Bourdain. As the host of a number of popular food programs, such as No Reservation, he was perhaps the most respected face in food-related television. Unsurprisingly, he did quite well for himself. 
accumulating an estimated $16 million to his name before tragically taking his own life. However, when the details of his will became public, his net worth was a mere $1.2 million. So where did all the money go? Did Bourdain, who was always open about his own history of addiction, relapse and squander it all? I mean, what a story that would be. Thankfully, that's probably not the case, since TMZ, known on this show as the periodical of record, reported that the majority of his wealth was held in trusts. And as such, the real details of his estate will likely never become public, because trusts, unlike wills, largely don't pass through public probate. And if I can be completely selfish for a moment, what a bummer that is for an estate nerd like me. A wealthy celebrity, former addict, with a movie star girlfriend in Asia Argento, and a daughter whose mother he happened to still be married to, takes his own life? What an insanely interesting estate. Unfortunately for me, I'll never know the details. And that's largely the point. He didn't want me to. The potential presence of trusts should color your interpretation of the details of any and all public estate information, celebrity or otherwise. However, their benefits aren't limited simply to privacy. That's certainly a big one. But before we jump in with both feet, let's start at the very beginning. Jeff, I mentioned the word probate earlier. What exactly does that mean? And why is the fact that many trusts avoid it beneficial? So probate from a high level is uh, basically a court proceeding where uh, a decedent's assets are discussed and uh, anybody who thinks they may have a claim on uh, any of the, the, the state's assets gets to file a file something with the court that basically says, I got to make sure I get my fair share. Probate's a very public, I guess it's a, I don't know, a, a nice way to say it. It's a very public experience. Um, it, it, as we see in the, the tabloids, it's very easy for, you know, dirty laundry that the family may or may not have, but, you know, the different factions in the family may feel like there's dirty laundry and others, you know, may feel like they've moved on from stuff. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, in the business, we kind of say probate's a great, uh, reason to, for, for a family to have a big fight. So the reason that most people like to uh, you know, well, I shouldn't say most people, most estate lawyers really like to have uh, will or excuse me, wills that pour over into a trust or, or have assets, you know, put into a revocable trust or an irrevocable trust, depending on, you know, the situation of the family. Uh, what that, the first thing that does is, is it keeps a lot of the, you know, uh, a lot of the private things that should stay private out of the public eye. So whenever you hear the word probate, what I hear is maybe not the best estate plan. Which is odd, considering that that's sort of like the given way things are supposed to go by the law, right? It's sort of yeah, indeed. person dies, things go through probate so everyone can find out about them. And then uh, you know we go on from there. But in a, in a good estate plan, you're kind of just looking to skip that whole portion. Yeah. So privacy is one big aspect. What are some of the other benefits? It can't just be, you know, trust can't all just be about keeping things secret, you know, what are some of the other benefits of, of using trusts? Well, there's obviously, you know, depending on, on the level of the, uh, the, the value of the estate, there, there can be some tax reasons being able to maintain a, a level of control. Uh, once you've matured as, as we say, there, there are a lot of reasons. I mean, there's a whole, the, 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 the technical pieces that go into a trust are numerous and, definitely litigated a lot. For me, the, the biggest reason that, that I try to focus on good trust work 
is if we do it right, we can convey, we can pass down the values that created the wealth. Most of the time when, when we see a good estate plan, uh, we see uh, parents or grandparents, whatever, who have placed a value on hard work, creativity, calculated risks, dependability, you know, all of these things that, uh, you know, kind of end up uh, a recipe for success. And if we build, I guess, mileposts or, or, or uh, rewards for our beneficiaries that give them an incentive to uh, hone those values in their own lives, we pass on a whole lot more than a fortune. We pass on the, the ability to continue to build wealth, create wealth, live you know, a good, healthy life that, that makes a difference, uh, not just in the life of your kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, whatever, but often will make a difference in the, the communities that these families uh, live in. Now you kind of touched on this one, but you know, when most people think of passing things on after death and bequeathing things, that, that that's what a will is for. You know, as far as most people go, you know, and, and I think to these same people, the idea of passing on legacy and 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 uh, values and these such of words doesn't even really cross their mind. How does a trust sort of serve these needs uh, in a way that a will can't? Well, so every so there are kind of two basic types of of, of trusts, I guess. Uh, there's a trust that's drafted by your real estate lawyer, and then there are trusts that are drafted by a trust in the state's lawyer. One, obviously, the, the higher the specialization of, of the lawyer drafting it for you, the better uh, the work product. But really, what uh, we love to see is if we can get mom and dad to write kind of a one and a half page letter. That talks about you know, kind of gives the trustee some instruction, um, gives the family a feel for what uh, their values are, or what 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 the important is over maybe what the urgent is. We want to make sure that uh, you know, in our family, we have a advice for for uh, youngsters who want to become entrepreneurial. In in my personal family, we kind of joke around. We have an advice, but not money trust. We can hire consultants, et cetera. That's, that's what I've drafted for, you know, my kids is you can hire consultants, you can hire advisors, but, you know, if, if, if you need the trust to fund, you know, an entrepreneurial venture, that's probably not a great one. Good entrepreneurial ventures, you know, usually are able to find uh, funding. So what, what we try to do is, is build, like I say, the, the advice, kind of the, the, the chorus that you'll need, the support staff that you'll need, uh, and, and have them compensated but the the actual project itself in the hands of of you know the beneficiary another way to do this you can i mean we we've seen w2 payroll matching we've seen all kinds of incentives that can be built into a trust where you have a trustee then that, that, that has a, a much clearer understanding of what your like what, what matters to you really um, what your goals are and, and how you want those goals how do you want how you want to incent those values in the lives of, of the beneficiaries of your trust? I think you mentioned urgency versus the long term. And I think that's an important point to to harp on a little bit. Okay. For a will, again, is sort of you know, it does its job. And then once the estate is administered, you kind of crumple it up and throw it in the garbage. That's not how trusts work. They're much longer term. They're they're meant, you know, when we say legacy, we mean legacy. They're meant to reach far into the future and define how, you know, a, a family operates, basically. And that's a very different type of document than uh, who gets my stuff. 
Absolutely. We, we, we say that uh, trusts are measured in, you know, we, we measure performance in decades as opposed to quarters. We, we, we try to, you know, we, we, a lot of financial advisors, uh, in, in our practice where the, you know, they understand that the family has had a trust event. Uh, they, they've been able to move the family away from, you know, whoever the big box trustee is and, and, uh, land the investment assets. Um, but really, uh, helping the advisors understand that, most of the time, these folks are already rich. We got to keep them rich instead of continuing to maybe try to grow it and, and, and be as aggressive as, as you would be on, say, an individual uh, account. With trust, it's more about preserving, preserving corpus, preserving uh, the principle of the trust and trying to help the, the beneficiaries use the, the leg up that they've got to enhance, uh, you know, gifts or, or talents or interests, whatever, instead of the, the, the worst case scenario is, you know, the, the pot smoking Ferrari driving beneficiary playing Xbox uh, champion in his mother's basement. Uh, that, that, that's, that's a symptom that the trust may not have uh, been you know, written as well, or, or that the intent of the grantors was not documented or, or, or uh, actually included, or, or, or I can't find my word here, was not memorialized effectively in, in the trust document. And that's, you know, that, that's why uh, the, the outcome is a beneficiary who literally may have the cure to cancer between their ears, but uh, is not in a place where they have to challenge themselves at all. Helping folks who have these types of situations, these families who have trust, to realize that just you know, j- just because you have wealth doesn't mean you shouldn't go out and challenge yourself. M- most of the time, when we see you know even third and fourth gen folks coming in, we we try to get back to what's the core. The, I mean, what is what is it that built the wealth, and how do we help the people who you know, are uh, entitled to, to the, entitled to access the wealth now, how do we help them to kind of maintain that vision? And, and, and uh, instead of, you know, the, the old adage shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three or four generations, how do we help them, you know, to level up uh, for the next generation that comes after them? And you mentioned earlier, you know, the concept of pour over trusts and funding trusts, and, and these aren't things that you know, they, they require management. It's not, it's not a magic document that you can put in place, and expected to to run for the long term without any sort of you know having to pay attention to it. And there's uh, a, a little bonus celeb tidbit for everyone who was listening this far, sort of a reward for you guys. But uh, you know, you'd see in the case you know from Michael Jackson. You know, Michael Jackson. One of the many problems that were that he had with his estate, um, which we'll certainly cover in greater depth on a different episode, was that he had a revocable trust for his children. And uh, it was in his will, it was supposed to pour over, his will was supposed to pour over into this revocable trust. But because they never funded the trust, they wrote the whole thing off, they had the plan in place, but somebody just forgot to put assets in there. Everything had to end up going through probate and obviously through public eye before it eventually went into the trust, kind of basically defeating the purpose, or at least a lot of the purpose of the document. These are the sorts of things that advisors really need to keep an eye on. It's not just a fire and forget sort of thing. Well said. I think, well, the, the, there's, a, there's kind of a, a, a statistic in our industry uh, where, where you get the, the real academic folks uh, to, to kind of do an analysis and, and estimate where, you know, who ends up the trustee of, the, of most of the trusts that are created. And probably, you know, there's, there's, I haven't, I've never seen a, a report that, that uh, gives a, a solid number, but there's a strong feeling that 70, 80% of the trusts that are drafted end up with, you know, uncle Joe as, as your trustee. Now, uncle Joe may be a great guy and he may understand the family uh, culture. He may understand a lot about, you know, mom and dad who are, are leaving the money in the trust. 
but uh, that's very well said. A trust is a very living kind of high, higher maintenance document. It's not a, a set and forget it. But much like you know, uh, other documents, you know, legal documents that that uh, require maintenance, such as you know, a business or a something that holds an inner ownership and an income producing uh, asset, trusts that are maintained professionally, managed professionally, end up being extreme. Can be very effective tools to you know, not just, uh, you know, keep rich kids rich, but really to perpetuate, like I say, that culture. And you know, we've mentioned the role of the trustee several times now, and maybe we should give just a, a better overview of what exactly that usually entails and, wh- and why Uncle Joe, despite being an awesome guy, is maybe not the best in that role. And especially because, although obviously I'm sure that you favor the, uh, the trust company trustee approach, you know, I think a lot of the financial advisors in our audience, if they end up having direct contact in, in, in a role with a trust, it would be as trustee. So, so what does that really entail? And what, what, are, what are the things that a good, what was a good trustee look like? Well, so it, it all starts with the record keeping, right? Uh, most of the time when we onboard a trust from an individual, you know, kind of out in, out in the big wide world, who's trying to, uh, fulf- trying to fill the job, we, we always start with the, the principal and income calculations, separating principal and income accurately, literally maker is a make or break deal. Um, there are principal and income calculators out there. None of them are cheap. Um, but the people who spend the time to, to get that right, um, it's a good foundation. We can tell a lot about a trust just by the way the books have been kept. Um, understanding uh, assets being uh, titled correctly, understanding uh, the, the, the disclosure requirements to various classes of beneficiaries, um, understanding that, that often... Uh, you have to, as a trustee, you have to make sure that everybody's got a statement of assets and that you, you've done, you know, an annual review every single year. You got to make sure that you've got your uh, investments in line. Fiduciary does, you know, it doesn't really determine result. Fiduciary uh, determines process, processes that we use to make good decisions based on the, the data that we have, the priorities of the people who wrote the trust over, like I say, decades. Um, and it's, it's, you know, a constant kind of measurement uh, to make sure that you're uh, continually uh, on on pace, in line with the goal. And I'm glad you you brought up the word fiduciary because, especially in, in advisor circles and broker circles, that's you know fiduciary standard is is the buzzword of the day, right? Depending mm-hmm. on how you feel about it. But when we say fiduciary in this context, that is a whole other ball of wax. Um, being the fiduciary, the fiduciary duty of, of a trustee is, is very strong. And can even sometimes be so strong as, as to pull you in sort of competing directions. You bet. It's uh, the fiduciary is the highest standard of, of care that is contemplated in the in finance. Uh, so if I have a fiduciary duty to you, I have to do what's best for you, whether I make money or lose money, because that's my duty. You got to be careful when you you take on that level of responsibility. Everybody likes the the authority, but it's it's when the responsibility comes home to roost that you can end up in a, in a pickle real quick. Um, the average litigation in a trust actually occurs between 10 and 15 years after the fact, after the decision was made, uh, that, that may or may not have created the breach of fiduciary. It's usually brought by, you know, great grandkids or grandkids that, that are, you know, were, were maybe even not alive at the time the decision was made. Um, and so, that, you know, that's why you see old trust and estate lawyers where, you know, they, they pass on and you get, 
get up in the attic and start cleaning it out. And there's the estate plans of all their, all their clients because they wanted to make sure that, uh, that, that the records were kept, uh, for when the big day came that these clients, uh, started to, to, to pass on and their estate plans really went into effect. Yeah. And judging, you know, what's best for the client sort of seems that's such a simple statement, but it's such a complicated thing to do in practice, especially say hard to measure when you're dealing with finances, right? And then well that are going to be looked at with the benefit of hindsight that you obviously didn't have uh, at the time you were making the decision. Um, so it really can be quite an intense duty and kind of has to hold up to quite an intense amount of scrutiny. Um, and this is sort of why, you know, you don't ask uncle Joe over, over the Thanksgiving dinner table to be you know, your trustee. That's exactly right. And that's really why my practice exists. We, you know, we, we understand that uh, people can fill the con fill, fill a conflict of interest when they take their trust to a you know a big box and they're they're doing the investment management as well as the trustee work. Um, so we 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 don't invest assets. We we think that's a conflict of interest. All we special all we do is uh, administer uh, personal trusts, and by doing that, we open up the market to you know uh, have a safe place for financial advisors to come and get advice to get help when you know they, they see families uh, starting to fight. Um, when they see a, you know, a problem out on the horizon, uh, there are resources. They're just, you know, it's a, it's kind of a quiet little cottage industry that really, you know, I've been in this business that we are in right now has been around since 1997. Uh, well, predecessor company in 97 independent trust since 2011 and never advertised, never really did anything except for word of mouth. So thus far we've been talking about trusts in terms of, um, you know, very wealthy, high net worth, sort of problems, right? We're talking mm-hmm. about legacy and, you know, and wealth preservation and these sorts of things, but, but trusts aren't necessarily just for the ultra high net worth client. You, know, you don't need to have millions of dollars for a trust to have great utility in the state plan. Um, because a lot of it is, you know, even if you don't care about secrecy, even if the tax benefits just don't matter to you, you know, control and protection are both just very valuable and trusts can offer these in spades. You bet. And, you know, we see a lot of trusts in the, you know, sub $5 million range, sub $10 million range. Um, th- these are trusts that have funded, you know, medical degrees. They've funded law degrees. They've, you know, created uh, beneficiaries who are out in, uh, out in society and, and being great contributors. Um, it's managed well, three, five, seven, eight million bucks can, you know, have, have a multi-generational impact. And even in smaller amounts, you know, your things like your special needs trust or, you know, these are the less sort of sexy instruments in the estate planning world, but maybe the more relevant in sort of the, the wider world. Well, yeah, extremely meaningful to the people they serve. Uh, special needs trust, especially where you've got, you know, maybe mom and dad are, are even uh, gone. They did the best they could to take care of, of the beneficiary during their lifetime. But, uh, you know, they, they just... They outlived them, and you know, as a, when you're the trustee of a special needs trust, you end up not just uh, looking out for the beneficiary uh, in a financial basis. You you kind of end up in a place where you you can almost become a, a quasi parental role uh, or take on a quasi parental role in their life. I think it's with these sorts of trusts. Obviously, you know, if you're talking to advisors, they they're not going to draft a trust that they don't even necessarily need to understand the whole thing, but they can still add value by knowing when certain trusts 
can come into play and when and when they can be helpful for their clients. And I think the special needs trust is a really big and really sort of easy starting place for that because it's so applicable in so many situations where you don't necessarily think like anecdotally you hear the term special needs and that, and that you know, brings a certain sort of image to your head of, of maybe sort of a handicapped person or somehow, or it doesn't necessarily need to be that great. I mean, I've known people who have set up special needs trusts for a child who had diabetes just to make sure that that was always taken care of. I mean, it has there's so many applications of these things. Absolutely. For obviously understanding, you know, trust applications is huge. I think another big part of a, of a good financial uh, advisor's practice uh, is the ability to understand and, and talk about, uh, you know, we always encourage uh, folks out there to ask in their annual review uh, when they get the clients in the office, one of the first few questions that they ask should be, are you or your family involved with a trust? Um, and often you'll hear, well, I don't have a trust, but my wife does. And it's a, you know, so-and-so uh, is the trustee and, and the investment performance is garbage. Um, and we're very frustrated with it. Well, if a financial advisor hears that, uh, that's an opportunity to, to, to land work uh, and to deepen a relationship uh, with a, an existing client. Most folks out there in in kind of the the bigger box trustees or, or who have individual trustee at the helm tend to struggle with with you know one aspect or another either my tax returns aren't getting out on time I, I you know I never get my uh, my my distributions my cash needs aren't aren't being worried you know worried about or taken care of in a timely manner um, I, I have no idea you know how, how the trust is performing I haven't heard anything you know about you know in the last five years if if we're doing okay or if, if I'm spending too much or too little um, and, and these types of things are uh, really frustrating and, and in points frankly of, of uh, fear fighting all kinds of, of issues that that, are, that arise um, when current trusts aren't being managed well so there's really, you know there are really two different avenues for financial advisors who uh, whose ears perk up and then they're they're listening to the dead celebrity podcast, you know, understanding when, a, when to implement a trust is important, but also understanding how to recognize uh, a trust that might not be uh, performing at, at its max uh, and, and is frustrating the family can also be a, a very powerful tool uh, to, to build your practice. Well, unfortunately, we can't cover the totality of trusts in a, a 25 minute podcast. <laughs> Otherwise, I guess we would all be out of work. But um, you know, I think that hopefully we've laid down here at least a, a bedrock of, of information for people to jump off from and, and to start being curious about trusts if you're not involved with them at all. And, and just to explore their utility and how they could potentially benefit your practice just by learning a bit more. I'd like to thank our guest, Jeff Madsen, for joining us this week. Thanks so much, Jeff. This was really great. Thank you, David. I've, I've enjoyed spending the time with you. Good conversation. And uh, everyone else, I will see you next time, or I guess you'll hear me next time uh, on the next episode of the Dead Celebrity Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Dead Celebrity Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to become notified when new episodes become available.
The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of InformaWealthManagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Support for today's podcast is brought to you by FS Investments. Finding income for your clients is tough. FS Investments makes it easier by designing solutions that help investors reach their income goals and secure their futures. FS Investments never settles, so advisors and investors won't have to either. Visit fsinvestments.com slash deadcelebrities and discover what it means to never settle. This is not an offer to buy securities. Investors are advised to consider investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses carefully before investing.